This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Let's give it up for Jesus Christ. He's the reason we're here tonight. Can we do that? Come on. Give him some crazy praise. Lord, we magnify your name. You are highly exalted in this place and throned on the praises of your people. We bless you tonight. We love you tonight. Woo, turn around and give somebody a high five. Say, I'm glad you get to sit this close to me, aren't you? Ah, you may be seated. Uh, I will say we left by faith today. There was some kind of a pipeline that busted in Alabama, and they said uh, we didn't have gas in Nashville. Everybody panicked. Isn't it just funny how people get so fear-motivated so quick, like, going to run out. Every gas station reminded me back in the 70s. Anybody remember the 70s when they had those long, long lines? And they were all, all saying, we have no more gas. And uh, so I, I texted Pastor Bob this morning. I said, hey, I've only got a quarter of a tank. And I said, that may get me 120 miles, but, uh, you know, you may have to come get us <laughs> somewhere in between here and, and uh, Olive Branch. And he said, he said, well, come on by faith. And I said, you know, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll leave by faith. It was really weird because that quarter of a tank actually went probably 170 miles. We, it just, I, the number kept, it kept staying right where it was. I said, when we left, we had our 150 miles, 160 miles to empty, and we'd been driving for 50 miles. And it's just so we had, like, I'm going, well, God's multiplying it in the tank. Could we just continue this arrangement? That would be really <laughs> awesome. Permanent miracle. How many like to have a permanent miracle like that? You just, never runs dry. Never runs dry. It is a privilege to be with you, Pastor Bob and Ellen. We just love you guys. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, that little bit of your history. I, I, you know, after you've done it as long as I have, I'm in my, gosh, uh, this is, I'm moving into 38 years of full-time ministry. And so there's so many stories across America and around the world. I've been to about 40-something countries. And and, uh, and this season has been really, really unique, you know, because we all have seasons. We have up seasons, and we have uh, I'm an all right season, and then we have some down seasons. And it's just kind of life is a bit of a mix of those. And the uh, last three years have been a little bit of the I'm okay, and then a few down. And, it's, and, and God is so good to do this. In that season, and, and it's continuing, he has brought up so many people like yourself and either a direct message on Facebook or uh, I find out that somebody that I prayed for, prophesied over, is leading worship at a 10,000-member church, like a guy that was in our church, just one of our worship team in, at the Oasis. He's now Mark Batterson's worship leader, oversees all the campuses. And, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it's like, okay, yeah, God, you, you, you have used me. And, uh, and, and, you know, don't be governed or manipulated by your emotions. And that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? Jillian, my wife is the best thing that ever happened to me, and I need you to come up and let these amazing people at Church of the Harvest hear how wonderful you are and why we are still married. <laughs> well, we celebrate our 26th anniversary, and so I think it's going to work. Pretty sure it's going to work. I was just thinking about Pastor Bob and Ellen and how, you know, 25 years ago, a word came forth, and, and one of the scriptures in the Bible says that to, to war according to the prophecies given. And I think about that. And if you take it literally, it doesn't really make sense to war according to the prophecies given. But it makes total sense when you understand the meaning behind it, which is when God gives you a word, when the enemy comes in, when life happens, when things try to bury that word or cause that word to, you know, cease to exist in your head and your mind and your heart, you have to war according to that prophecy. So you have to fight for it. You have to fight for that word. You have to fight for the fruit. 
you know, the emotional fight, the physical fight, the spiritual fight, the financial fights, and the things that you do throughout your life are not about you. It's about what you prepare to leave. And I think about this amazing church and how you accept in the call, you know, uh, even for Oasis, you know, we accepted a call, but we know that it's not going to end with us, you know, and that's what, that's the whole beauty of this entire word and stories and people, people before us that came and, and set a foundation. And we go back to this foundation to build our lives. And I think that we have a generation that feels like they can do it outside of this. And, you know, I, I really believe that what, when, what they need to understand is they're not entitled, they're entrusted. And if we can help them see that they're not entitled, but they can be entrusted. And, you know, as we empower the next generation to come up and lead, and not just our churches, but our education, our politics, our media, as they become the leaders, you know, this, this mindset of this generation of entitlement, it can be, it can be um, kind of frustrating. But I remind our students and our young adults at Oasis, you're not entitled, you're entrusted. And I think even this church, you know, there's, there's as, as we all prepare this shift and we're raising up that next generation, pouring out to that next generation, they don't like it when we say, you just think you're entitled. So I, I've decided not to just leave it with entitlement, but actually empower them and say, but you can be entrusted. And so I think that that's happening here in this house. We're honored to be here. I love that there's a divine connection and a spirit connection, and it's wonderful to see fruit from a word that was spoken 25 years ago. Isn't that amazing? Fruit that remains and continues to produce and all that neat stuff. So you're supposed to preach tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it back to you. Give my bride a good hand. So think, how many realize this? Things are not always as they appear. Just things are not always as they appear. I don't know if you remember the old song that, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Oklahoma. Uh, that was just so huge. He had a song, uh, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Did you ever hear that one, old country song? Uh, what's his name? Garth Brooks, thank you. Yeah, because remember he was dreaming about his, this girl that he always wanted to be with in high school, and, and it was time for the, you know, the 20-year reunion, and, and even though he was happily married, he, his mind kind of started running back to this girl that he had this infatuation for, and I'm going to see her, and it's going to be wonderful, and, and he kind of already went through several scenarios, and because and, uh, he prayed that that would be his wife. Uh, when he was in school, and and so he gets to the he gets to the reunion, and he's looking all over where finally he spots her across the gym, and and uh, and he starts moving towards her. It's, she only kind of has the the uh, silhouette, kind of turn around halfway, and then and then she turns around and starts walking towards him. And the closer she got, he started singing this song. I thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> yeah, you got it. And things just aren't always as they appear. And I heard a story about <clears throat> heard a story about a guy that was walking across a, a, a park and and uh, on a sidewalk thing, and he, and he saw this nun coming towards him, and he he uh, the closer he got, he decided I'm just going to I'm going to go for this, and he stops her, and he says, I have to I have to ask you one thing. Can I ask you one thing? She said, Well, what what is it? He goes, I've always had this secret desire to kiss a nun. And she said, well, sir, I can't do that. I, I, that's prohibited in, in, in the, the religion I'm in. I can't do that. He said, but you could just make this one exception. She said, well, okay, if you're not married and you're a Catholic, 
you can go ahead and do it. And so he leaned into her room and just helped give her this big smooch kiss, all wet and such, and, and he held it for about 10 seconds, and then he pushed back, and he started laughing as big as he could. And she said, well, what are you laughing for? He said, well, I'm a Baptist, and I'm married. And then she started laughing really big. She said, well, I'm, I'm not a nun. My name is Jim, and I'm on my way to a costume party. <laughs> Everybody say it with me. Things are not always as they appear. As we were driving in uh, this afternoon, anytime I'm getting ready to speak somewhere, I said, God, I have a, I have a message. You've given me a message to share and uh, speaking with Pastor Bob, I said, is there a theme? And he, he talked about a theme, and I, I have a number of messages that could fit that theme. But, but uh, I always ask him also, is there a word? Is there a word, a general word, for the people that will be under the anointing tonight, under this ministry? And I'm telling you, the moment I walked in, and I didn't hear it driving, but I heard it the moment I walked in. He said, tell them, those who have the faith in this room and receive the word tonight, you're entering an accelerated season of favor like you've never experienced in your life. Unlike anything you have ever seen, accelerated favor. Shout it with me, accelerated favor. Come on, shout, I receive it in Jesus' name. Well, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this great church, the leaders in this church, God, those that have sown so much time investing in the lives of people, the people you love in this community. We pray for Church of the Harvest. We pray for Olive Branch in this area that you would continue to give them wisdom and you'd continue to give them knowledge and understanding of the times. Like the sons of Issachar, they had an understanding of the times. God, the times have changed so much, and there's a lot of things that we don't know how to address, but you do, Lord, and so give us wisdom that is not natural, but supernatural. God, give us ideas and concepts that will reach out and capture the imagination of a generation who says they're no longer interested in the things of God. We thank you, Father. There, there is a great revival that is still coming. We believe it. We said it years ago. We're going to say it again with greater passion and conviction than we ever have. The greatest revival of all is coming coming before you make your wonderful return to get your glorious church that is without spot and without wrinkle. God, anoint my mind tonight to think your thoughts, anoint my lips to speak your word, and Lord, I pray that every seed that is sown will not return to your void, but accomplish what you please. It'll prosper where you sent it. You sent us here, and you're sending the seed into them tonight. We thank you. It does not return to you void. It accomplishes what you please, and it will prosper in their hearts, in their minds, in their families, in their marriage, in their relationships, in their job, in their finances, in their bank accounts, God, in their investments, it's going to prosper in them and through them, and they'll be a greater blessing to your church and to the world around them. I thank you for it, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. amen. You know, as, as he was, uh, as pastor was mentioning about the offering a moment ago, it's a story I told yesterday on our 19th anniversary at the Oasis Church, um, because I was talking about the, the great steps of faith that it took to to see the miracle that we see around us today. And, uh, 
and I was in Oklahoma City. That was my home base for a lot of years. Born in Long Beach, California, but raised in Oklahoma. I'm a third-generation preacher. Uh, both of my grandfathers, my grandfather on my, uh, my mom's side, he pastored the church on Signal Hill right there in Long Beach, California. Uh, my, father's, my dad's father pastored in Oklahoma, and then my dad was a, a minister. All three of his brothers were ministers. His sister married a pastor, and it's like if you were born in the chambers, you, 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 you didn't have a lot of options. I mean, they were convinced we all came out of the womb speaking in tongues. That's what they thought. <clears throat> but we, uh, we nevertheless, I, you know, I, I saw a lot of wonderful things happen. And you can ride on the faith of somebody else only for so long. You can ride on the faith of somebody else only for so long. There comes a time, and all of you know it, that are parents, that you kind of start getting a little irritated at your kids if they're still trying to live off of your toilet paper and your electricity, and they don't turn the lights out. Does any parents ever had that go on at all? You know, it's, you kind of expect it when they're seven, but when they're 22, I used to, here's the way I used to do it. I'd say, I'd say come over here, come over here. And I'd give them a $100 bill. I said, just go ahead and throw this in the trash. You throw, throw it in the trash. Why, why are you going to be throwing it in the trash? Because every time you're leaving these lights on, I'm the one pay, paying that electric bill, and it's like throwing the money away. And somewhere you gotta you got to help them understand value mechanisms. And sometimes the only way you do it is not be supported by your faith. Y'all are getting all Presbyterian on me now. I, I must have. It's just there's a time for us to, to grow up and to become all that God's created us to be. And a lot of times we can just ride on the coattails of others. And there's, there's something about taking those extraordinary steps of faith where they're so risky that if God doesn't show up, you won't make it. If you can make it on your own, then there's still some plan B in there that really isn't fully trusting God. And when we were, when we were uh, making this move to Tennessee from Oklahoma to plant a church, and I didn't want to plant a church, but the Lord began to put it in my heart. I was with pastors every single week. The last year I was on the field of evangelism was 1997, 96 or 97. I was gone from my home 285 days. I preached in 315 services, and the average service was about five hours long because we were in revival during those days. And I hear the horror stories of pastors. You know, their health is challenged. There's tension and strain in their marriage and, you know, other things. They're not making enough money, and it's just like, ugh. And, and then the Lord says, oh, no, anyway, I want you to pastor a church. I'm going, you, you got to be kidding. Hearing all these stories, you know, I, don't, I don't want to do it. But then he gave me the most obnoxious confirmations. They came from one end of America to the other. People would come up to me, pastoring great churches. Danny, I sense, I sense the Lord has taken you in a new place, a new season, new, uh, even a new city. And I see you pastoring people. I go, please don't see that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need more confirmations. I don't want confirmations. But it, but they came in such abundance that it actually began to, to grow in our heart. The more that we pondered and meditated that, and Jill and I talked about it a lot. And when you get two people in unity agreeing and talking about the same things, he says anything is possible. Amen? Can I get some water? Uh, so I had a staff of about 12 people with our traveling ministry. Thank you. Uh, I had a staff of about 12 people, and most of them wanted to, to make the move with us. And um, so I started calculating the cost. You know, the Bible says to count the cost. And I'm going, whew, this is, this is going to take a lot of money. This is going to take a lot of money. Move all these families. 
Uh, and, and so all, I said, well, the only thing tying me to Oklahoma is our house, our mortgage, because we just leased office space. And so I said, well, this is, we just need to put the house on the market. And I did the old fleece thing. I said, God, if you want us to move, you got to sell this house and sell it for a good price. It'll become seed money for, for Nashville. It didn't sell in nearly the amount of time I thought it should. He was still forcing us to act in obedience to a word when things didn't match. I'm preaching right now. And so uh, after we got to Nashville, I said, well, you're going to have to give us enough money for two house payments then. I said, so we got to Nashville. Oh, no, but the price is in Nashville. I had a, we had a, we had a 5,000-square-foot, two-story brick home, wood paneling in a nice area in Oklahoma City. Bought it new, $160,000. Come on, somebody. And we looked a little, felt like a shanty in, in Franklin, Tennessee, half the size, and it was over $300,000. And I could not believe it. You know what? We acted in obedience, and the Lord provided. The Lord provided. But as we were, as we were raising monies for the, the, the ministry account to help with the expenses of moving team and, and the various startup costs, I had saved about $25,000. And uh, I, I knew that wasn't enough, but it was, an, it was an account that we opened that just called it Nashville account, the Nashville account. And, and we socket money away there every, as, as often as we had extra. And in January of 1997, we moved in June of 97, but in January 1997, I was in a conference in, in uh, Anaheim, California. I just got through ministering, about 18,000 people there, and I, I, yeah, they had about 30 or 40 different pastors and ministers and musicians that sat on the stage together. Uh, the, the minister's name was uh, Morris Sorello. And so I, I went back to my place to sit down, just minding my own business just minding my own business. And he began to talk about a new missions event that they were going to do. And he said, I feel like someone is supposed to give $10,000. Well, I'm going, you got 18000 Surely somebody's got $10,000 there. And uh, I'm, I'm literally, I'm not having dialogue with God. I'm not praying. I'm not interceding about it. And he just drops it into my heart. Uh, you're supposed to give $10,000. I look around at the other pastors. I'm thinking, I got somebody's word. That's somebody else's word. That's not my word. There's no way. That's my word. I, I, I'm doing everything to raise everything I can to get us moved to Nashville. We got to have that money for Nashville. I keep looking around. Nobody's. They, they look at me. I say, did you, did you hear that word? No, they didn't hear anything. And I have to tell you, it's first time. It's the first time I went, wow, 10 grand is a lot of money. And it's money that's allocated for a move. And I'm, then I kind of start having the argument with God. And he says, oh, yeah, well, that's not enough for the move that I have in mind. And so if it's not enough for the move in mind, it has to become seed money. And so, I, you know, I, I wrote the check out, I, but I had absolutely zero joy. There was no joy. And I know the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and I got that. That's why I was bringing this out. I, I, but there was not an ounce of happiness nor fun. I wasn't, I wasn't excited about it. I don't even know if I had faith. I just had raw obedience. Because I'm thinking that would go a long way still toward the move. Somewhere it would go, you know, but... But I gave it, and, uh, and I moved on. Two weeks later, I was in my house in Oklahoma City, walking through the living room, minding my own business. I didn't have any praise and worship on. I hadn't just come out of prayer time. And I hear the Lord say, give another 10000 to a, a minister who was uh, 
kind of a peer level minister there out of Tulsa. You remember Eastman Curtis, Eastman Curtis. And I knew him and I thought, oh, Lord, his ministry is doing better than mine. He should be giving me $10,000. But, but here's what, <laughs> so I, because I knew him and because he's so animated, Jill and I, we, we give him a call and said, hey, we want to take you and your wife to dinner or to lunch. And we're, we're going to drive to Tulsa. We, we have something we want to do and share with you. And so, you know, after we've finished eating, I pushed the little $10,000 check over there and put it in front of him. He, he jumped up on the chair, started dancing around the table, screaming, high praises. It was just going ballistic. Well, and it, it was humorous. So it was a, I thought, well, that, that's partially uh, rewarding. <laughs> At least I got some entertainment value. I didn't get any entertainment value out of the last 10. But, but uh, you know, he said, it's the biggest gift ever given to any. I said, well, praise the Lord. Pray some in for us. I said, this is towards Nashville, Tennessee. We need a harvest. We need a harvest. We need a harvest. Then I'm speaking at another conference in, I think it was Cleveland, Ohio, a, a couple weeks after that. And, I, you know, I'm not, even, I'm not wanting to go to conferences after this. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait till I get to Nashville <laughs> and I'm spending the money. But there's only 5000 left in that account. And, and I hear the Lord say, you need to clean out the account. And I, I, I literally, sitting on the stage, I went, whatever. He says, no, he said, that's the best thing that you could ever do because now you have to depend on me. You'd been depending on your own savvy, your own ability to fundraise and to, and to cast the net in a certain way in religious environments. Now you have to trust in me. And I did. And you know what? In about six weeks, we had well over $100,000 that had miraculously come into the mail and through our ministry. We didn't have to stress. We didn't have to strain over it. It was enough for us to make the move. And then we moved into a little building in West Nashville, about uh, 12,000, 13,000 square feet. And it was a big step of faith for us to do that. We needed to do about $70,000 to retrofit it, to buy chairs. You know these chairs? You know how much these chairs cost? You guys should really appreciate chairs. I never thought about a chair in a church in my life until I realized, wow, those cost a lot of money. And, and to get 300 chairs was something like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000. It was just crazy. And speaker systems. I mean, those costs. I mean, everything costs. And, and so, I, you know, I... I uh, I said, well, look, to the, to the man that was leasing the property, he had properties all over the Nashville area. He had a bus company that, that uh, leased out buses to the entertainers and country music guys. And so he's very well to do. And I said, look, I, I really would like to buy this property. We're, we're, we're sinking enough money into it to, to make it work for us that I really would prefer to buy it. Our credit is good. And the price on the building was about $1.3 So, you know, it was, I, we couldn't make this happen. And, I, and uh, he said, I'm not going to sell it. He says, this is where I make a whole lot of my money is, is leasing properties. I have write-offs. He goes, this is, he said, it's not going to sell. I said, well, could we do one thing then? Could we at least, uh, could we at least uh, put a, a little addendum down here at the bottom of the contract? I'd never done this before, but I'm telling the Holy Spirit dropped it right in my heart. He said, what, like what? I said, well, if you decide to sell it, that I would have the first right of refusal. Have you heard that terminology before? First right of refusal. In other words, if he changes his mind, I'm the fir I, get the first sh I get the first shot at it, okay? So, uh, whether I buy it or not, it just means I am the first one given the opportunity. So we're in the building a few months. The church is growing. We've already got, you know, two, two, two services, I think, on a weekend. We're up to about five or 600 people in a short amount of time, and... and, and uh, we did an integrity recording. Were you there for that integrity recording or not? I can't remember if you were, Bob. 
Yeah, I think you were too. It was, it was in 97. It was in the fall of 97. Integrity Hosanna, uh, who had done a, a number of my songs, they said, we want you to record now yourself. And I said, so great, great. So they came, it was awesome. I had Lincoln Brewster, had Cindy Cruz on it, had Israel Houghton on it. I mean, the lineup was insane. And the talent was over the top. And the anointing just came down like uh, glorious, glorious, glorious. And so, I, you know, we were in Mobile mixing that album in December of 97. We've just been in the church since June. Started in September, so just a few months old. I get a call, and the guy's—it's one of my—it was one of my, one of my uh, direct directors uh, and one of my elders. He said, "Pastor, are, are you sitting down?" I go, "No, I'm not sitting down." He goes, "You might want to sit down." I said, "Why do I want to sit down?" He says, "We—we we just had the biggest drug bust in Tennessee history this weekend." I said, "Well, and why would I want to sit down for that?" He said, uh, "It's our landlord." He said, "And." the drug enforcement agency has already came and seized the property. And I went, okay, I'm sitting down now. And I mean, I'm thinking immediately, this is foreign territory to me, and I don't know, does this mean we're going to lose all of our investment? How does that sh shake down? You know, what happens with that? Am I going to be indicted along with them in some capacity? Sure enough, the headlines in the newspaper the next morning said, Oasis Church linked to biggest drug bust in Tennessee history. And so, you know, it, it, but, but God's so good. There was a guy that worked in our church that worked at Channel 5, and he, says, he said, listen, we can overwhelm that with an evening news show, and we'll show about all the things that you're doing already. I've got, a, I've got the confirmation. We can do a three-minute piece with you, Pastor Danny, and so we're going to talk about all the good you're doing, that you're not linked to it. It's the guy, you know, so that all worked to, uh, to our favor, and our numbers were bigger the next week, of course. And so, uh, anyhow, Immediately, when we sat down with the, with the DEA, they said, look, this, I, I said, can we stay in the church? Can we, can we continue to use it? He said, you, you can. You can. It will probably be eight months, ten months, maybe even a year before it goes to trial. We can't put it on the auction until it goes to trial. And that's when it goes to auction is when you'll, you'll lose it. And I, I said, oh, okay. He said, oh, you'll need to make your lease payments to the DEA. And that just seemed odd to me. Every week, every month, a church check going to the Drug Enforcement Agency for $7,000. It was just crazy. Did it for a year. We did it in faith. And God continued to cause the church to grow. And we, uh, it, we came to the point of the auction. And it was about maybe a few weeks before the auction, I get a call from an attorney in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And he says, uh, he says, Reverend Chambers, I've been following this case. And he said, uh, I, I, he said I'm, a, I'm a believer. And he said, I just really felt like there would be something that, that might be favorable to you. And he said, so I've been looking through the books. He said, uh, what month did you, did you lease this, this property? I said, it was June of 97. He goes, yeah. He said, okay. He said, uh, he goes, can you send me a copy of your contract? Fax it over to me. He said, I think I've found a law that could be very favorable for you. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll fax it to him. He called me right back. He says, Okay, God really likes you. He goes, in the month of June, in our law books in Tennessee, they, they instituted a new law. He said, here's what it says. It goes, if properties, <laughs> if properties are taken, seized in a drug bust, and they happen to be leased properties to people not connected to the trade, whatever it was. He said, if they've signed a first right of refusal on that contract, it has to be honored at the auction. 
And so the auction came up, and I'm going, well, I'm, we, we had an all-night prayer meeting before, believe me, we got on the roof, man, prophesying over the place and everything, and, and, uh, and, and, and binding the enemy and all. But when we, we started the bid. I have to start it. I have to show that I won it, but then I didn't have to bid again. And we opened with a $100,000 uh, bid, and then uh, it went around and went around a few times, and maybe only 10 minutes was all. Uh, and it got only to $400,000, and as soon as the guy took it, he had a smile on his face. He thought, man, I got a million point two building for 400000 I walked over to him with a little legal law book, and I just said, uh, uh, well, the law says I can take that right out of your hands, and it feels really good because we just got a $600,000 gift is what we got. So seed money is good money. I'm just encouraging you, those that did give, man, just believe that there is a Lord of the harvest and that he can't schedule your harvest until your seed is in his hand. What leaves your hand never really leaves your life. It just enters your future someplace where it's going to come forth in the way of favor and blessing towards you. You know, we, we, we left, we left Na Oklahoma City to go to Nashville. Then after a few years, we grew so much that there was, we knew we needed a expansion. And so we, we bought a, a 12-acre piece of land that was a little over $2 million. I couldn't believe it. Dirt was so much money in Nashville. And But we had the momentum. We were trending up. The faith was high. We were at about 800 people. And so we bought this land. And, and uh, we had a plan in place to throw up three sprung structures. They look like tents, but they're not tents. And, you know, you can air condition them. You, you, you can deck them out real nice. A lot of the casinos use those sprung structures. So we had three of them planned to be built. But the moment we got the land, my dad was a tent preacher. And so I said, well, let's just get out of the little building so people's faith will be activated out here on the land. And, and so we put up a tent for the adults. We put up a tent for the teenagers. We put up a tent for the children's ministry. And it was awesome. It was cool, man. I mean, it was like, oh, what was it, March probably? So we had some rains and things like that, but the temperature was great. But, but all of a sudden, we were right next to the largest mall in Bellevue, Tennessee, the far west gate of Nashville. And, and that mall decided they didn't want us there, and they had power with the city. So the city began to fight us, and the mall began to fight us. Uh, there was a rim road that they said, we're going to charge you 5000 a month just to use that rim road, only for like a one block. And they kept making it more impossible, more impossible. We're, we're trying to keep moving forward. By now, you know, it's getting June and July. When it hit July, listen, it was 120 degrees in the, on Sunday mornings in that tent. And you know what happened? People, we're American, we, we're spoiled. We like cool air. If it, was so, it, was, it was so hot one Sunday. You know, I'm from Pentecostal background. Some people fall out in the spirit still yet. And, and, a, and a woman fell out, and I thought, well, praise God, the Lord, you're still moving here. And they, and they looked at me and said, this is heat exhaustion. <laughs> I had to carry her out. Long story short, we went from 800 people to 300 people in a six-month time frame. And we had to make drastic decisions. And I, we ended up with about a $500,000 investment on that piece of property. We, had to, we, we lost it. And I'm telling you, everything in me said... Uh, you know, you're a failure. This is failed leadership. And I wanted, to get out of, I wanted to get out of Nashville and go back on the road. The road was good to me. But God hadn't called me to the road. He'd called me there. He'd called me to Nashville. It was so undeniable. But, it, my, but what I was seeing with my eyes didn't match the picture he gave me in my heart back in Oklahoma City. I didn't see going through any of this. Just the same way when, when Joseph dreamed a dream, he didn't, he didn't see Potiphar. 
as part of that dream. He didn't see the prison as part of that dream. But, but all of those components were critical to his success in the palace. And you don't know what season you're in right now, but I would assure you all of us are in a season of, of obedience in some way, shape, or form. And it's how we're responding to issues and moments and relationships, how we're growing or how we're falling back that determines how quickly we get to where God has called us to be. Listen, he's always more interested in what you're becoming than what you're acquiring. And if you're not becoming, see, until the children of Israel matched the place God had called them to, they had to wander in the wilderness. And you have to match the place that God has assigned you to before you can get into it. Amen. It's good preaching, Danny. Wow, I like that. Hallelujah. I would go out on that property after the tents were down, and I, two, three in the morning, four, four was the witching hour for me, and I'd, I'd cry out, God, why, why, why? And there was one morning, I was just having a pity party, and, and he, 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 he speaks to my heart, he said, here's what he said, I'm waiting for a good word of encouragement. And here, here's what came, it came like this, he said, shut up, get up, and go home. I'm going to show you something. It was just like that. And it wasn't even like... Uh, any consolation or comfort whatsoever. I, got, I said, God, I'm losing it here. Couldn't it have been a kind word? No, shut up, get up, and go home. That's your word. And I went home, went down to my office, and, and uh, picked up my Bible. I turned it to 1 Samuel 16. And it's where God is speaking to the prophet Samuel. He's, he's telling him that he should stop mourning over Saul should stop mourning over Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. You stop mourning over Saul. When I looked at him, you know, wait, wait. How long has he been mourning over Saul? I believe, I believe he was still mourning to that point, which was delaying what God wanted to do both in Samuel and what God wanted to do with Samuel next. And it was that point he said, I've got something new I want you to anoint. I, I, I don't need your prayers for Samuel anymore. But if you were Samuel, you'd be going, well, wait a minute. You want me to go anoint another king? If he hears about it, if Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. They'll be thinking I'm a bipolar prophet. Who else gets the kingly anointing? Who else gets the anointing? But he, but he uh, nevertheless, he, he did it. But that phrase just jumped out at me so strong because months had been going by, and I was mourning over what I perceived as a great loss. I think it's one of the reasons Samuel was mourning because it was the people saw him pray for Saul. They saw him anoint Saul. Here's the point, the point I'm saying is that there are things that you have poured yourself into in seasons of your life, and it never gave you the return that you thought you would get. Some have poured something into a business, and you didn't get the response. You didn't get the bump. You didn't get the promotion. You didn't get, and you mourned over that. And it afflicts relationships in your life. So I heard the Lord say to me, he says, now, you can, you can call that a loss, a half a million dollar loss, or you can call it a seed sown for what I have in mind. I go, well, hey, if, if I tell people in our church that we just sowed half a million dollars into First Tennessee Bank for nothing, I don't know if that's going to go over. He goes, well, it goes over with me, and I think I matter more than anyone else here. Woo. You know what? So I had the bravado. I thought, hey, I got it. I mean, the first time I said it, I said, you know what? 
I found that scripture in the New Testament. It says where Jesus said, if somebody steals your, your, uh, your shirt, before they get out of earshot, tell them, hey, I got a matching jacket for it. Because what that does, it always postures the person as you can't steal anything from me because I'm a sower. And in the, in the time of sowing, there's a 30, 60, or 100-fold harvest. If it's just a thief, which would it be First Tennessee Bank or not? I don't know. If there's a thief that takes something, the Old Testament says you only get seven-fold return. But if you posture yourself as a sower, as a giver, he says you'll get the 30, the 60, or 100-fold return. So I, I, it, that settled me. Those two things settled me. I stopped my mourning. I stopped my grieving. I, I went, okay, well, that, that, it is what it is. It was what it was. And, and we went with our tail between our legs back to that little building and kicked up again. And we started growing again, got up to about 500 people. And one Sunday, not many months after that moment, a former Miss America that I had, that I had interviewed on TBN uh, back when I was doing uh, the Praise the Lord program more often, she, her name was Debbie Maffitt, 1986, former Miss America. She came over to our little building in Bellevue, and she just said, <clears throat> she caught Joan. She goes, listen, uh, I, she goes, sometimes God gives me prophetic pictures. And she said, I, I followed your church and your husband's ministry, of course, since, since, uh, since he's been here. And, um, you know, there's another church in town that I, I, I keep getting these images and in, in visions and dreams of seeing you two standing on the stage in this, in this other building. And she said, uh, have you ever heard of the Lord's Chapel? And, she said, and we said, yeah. yeah. So she goes, well, I just want to encourage you to reach out. She goes, I've, I've spoken to the interim pastor about you, and so I, the, the, I'll leave it up to you, whatever you want to do. Let me give you the long story short real quick, because we, we went over and looked at this thing, and I thought, what a wonderful, what a wonderful gift this would be. 55,000 square feet on 20 acres in the fastest growing area of Nashville, Tennessee. And, and uh, valued at $5.2 million. We walked over there, me and one of my, my uh, elders, great businessman. We walked in ourselves, and there was a, only one, one person was all that was there. He was doing the maintenance. He, he was one of the uh, deacons. And... Uh, he said, how can I help you, gentlemen? I just, I just bluntly said, well, hey, God told us he's going to be giving us buildings. We thought this might be one of them. He said, well, come on in. You want me to show you around? I said, yeah, I want you to show me around. It could be my building. And I, and I, and I proceeded to ask questions as he was showing us this beautiful building and, and beautiful facility. And so I, I just said, so what what size is the congregation right now? Well, he said, you know, we used to be a couple, couple thousand members back when the, the founding pastor uh, led this church. He said, we're, we've gone through a lot of different leadership. He said, it's a board-run church right now. He said, uh, we have about 20 people on a Sunday morning. I said, in this big building? I said, how, how are you even keeping the doors open? He said, well, they lease space out to a few others. And he said, it just is a, pretty much a wash. He said, and uh, he goes, but that's, I said, well, what, what's the Lord saying to you uh, as a deacon, he's going, Lord, tell me, we can't keep on very much longer. I said, so that makes sense, this conversation. I said, because we got about 500 people right now. That would be wonderful to see them. He said, yeah, it would be, it would be powerful. And I said, well, what's, what's, what do you think the Lord's saying to the board? He goes, I don't think that board listens to the Lord. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know what? God got that board's attention. And they started having prophetic visions. And after our initial conversation and meeting with them, I'm telling you, it was astounding what the Lord began to do. And in a matter of about six weeks, we were given the keys and the title deed to the Lord's Chapel 
five and a half million dollars with only a $700,000 debt load. There's, come on, I'm talking about seed, time, and harvest. We could have said it was a loss of 500,000 or a seed sown for where we are today. After that, we were given two other buildings in Nashville. We have one in Hendersonville, we have one in Murfreesboro, and so I'm just saying, there's a, there's a favor that rests upon this ministry that I believe is being released right here in Olive Branch tonight. And if you have the faith and the courage and the tenacity to take it, then start believing for big things. God isn't finished doing big things in your life. Your latter will be greater than your former. The end of a thing will be better than the beginning. If you've been in a slump, it's time to step up. If you've been in a slump, it's time to step up. If you had a setback, don't take a step back. Get ready for the comeback. There's a comeback anointing. There's a comeback anointing. There's a comeback anointing. I believe being released here tonight. I love this verse in Revelation 21. He says in verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. Shout that with me. Behold, I make all things new. Say it again. Behold, I make all things new. Anybody ready for some new things in your life? Some new things in your life? You know, those who created yesterday's pain do not control tomorrow's possibilities. In our entire journey in these last 19 years in Nashville and before that, Went through a horrible divorce in 1988. Had the largest youth group in the state of Oklahoma, over 700 students. And my wife decided she wanted to be with other people. And she left me, and I single-parented for two years. And uh, then I married the beautiful blonde here on the front row. And we're at 26 years, moving on 27. And they said it wouldn't work. And there's a whole lot of people that you'll hear a whole lot of voices of what you will not amount to in your life. You've got to go back to the Word, and He that has created you has done a perfect job. You're custom designed. You're born for such a time as this. You have the, you have the genetic design and the geographic assignment was on you. So start looking to God. Start believing for bigger things and better things. Your last will be greater than your past. Amen? Every, every great move of God that I've experienced has been with a willingness to leave something, to leave something. I, and I see the Bible's filled with a lot of great leavers, a lot of them. Men and women who had they not learned how to leave, their great stories would have never unfolded. He told the disciples, he said, you got to leave, forsake it all. And they said, that's what we've done. He said, well, if you, no man has left houses and land, wife, cattle, children for my sake in the kingdom that they'll not reap 100-fold now in this life and in the life to come. There will be persecution with it. But he's telling them, look, when you are willing to leave something behind that has value or meaning to you, you're going to inherit something far greater. Amen. Ruth and Naomi left Moab, which represented great loss and pain, but they found a Boaz. They'd have never found a Boaz if they'd not left Moab. Rebecca left a good home and family. Nothing was wrong, but the opportunity was right, and she found an Isaac. Nehemiah left the comfort of the palace. If he hadn't left Jerusalem, he would have it would have remained in ruins. Elisha left his family and left the business behind. He actually burned his plow, indicating that's no longer who I am. I'm called to be a prophet now. I'm called to serve a prophet, and I will be a prophet. He understood I can't keep one foot where I am and another foot in the place I'm going. you got to make a decision, and that's an act of faith. Abraham left his father 
in the homeland, and in doing so inherited the greatest promises of his time. His ability to leave and believe in the great unknown gave him the title, the father of faith. Moses left Midian. If he hadn't, there would have never been an exodus that rescued two and a half million Israelites. Leaving the familiar is often the first step to bigger breakthroughs in your life. Growth demands the surrender of current comfort. Growth demands the surrender of current comfort. What these ordinary people left is assigned to us if we really want to experience all things new. They learn to leave their failures, their hurts, to leave their pain, their shame, their regrets, their defeats, their disappointments, their bad attitudes, their wrong relationships, and places that no longer fit. And sometimes, and I only go back on my life, sometimes good things fail so that greater things can begin. Let me give you another little piece of the journey tonight when, when Pastor was talking about Youth America. Pastor Kirk Pankratz had reached out to me, and actually the first year of Youth America was successful in large part because I had about 600 students there. And he asked me to lead worship and be a part of this thing. And we developed an, a, an immediate bond, a, a deep friendship. And we were coming into the next year. And we had an appointment set that day at my office at, at this church, great church in Oklahoma City. And before he got there, the sheriff walked in, walked into my office, and served me the divorce papers. It's not anything I'd asked for. We've been married for 10 years, but it's still a shock. And with the church I was with, Assemblies of God, it's pretty much you're dead in the water. Your ministry is over. You're done. And all that flood of memories just started rolling around in my mind. And as the sheriff was walking out, Kirk Pankratz was walking in. He walked into my office. He goes, well, you did, had you not paid your, your parking tickets? And he started to make a little joke about it. I went, well, that's a little more than that, Kirk. He said, what is it? I'm, I'm confident that the moment I tell him what it is, that that opportunity to even serve Youth America will be gone. But I show him. Because I know I'm going to get the boot from that church. But that was the only two things. And I had laid down my life for a couple of years to, to be a youth pastor. And so relationships kind of go south very quickly if you're not staying on the field and traveling. And he looks at this and he goes, oh, man, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, Danny. And then he puts his hand on my shoulder. He pulls me in. gives me this hug. He goes, everything's going to be all right. He goes, this happened to me. And he said, I'm still in the game. He goes, it's the call of God on you, not the call of man on you. And the call of God never changes no matter how man does change. I looked at him. I'm crying. I'm going, I said, you, you still want me to be involved? He goes, I'm expecting you to be involved. And he said, I'm expecting as you walk through this, uh, this challenge and this struggle season of your life that you're going, to come out, you're going to come out stronger, you're going to come out richer, you're going to come out more on top, you're going to be more known, you're going to write greater songs than you've ever written. And I'm going, he's just, what's he doing? He's prophesying over me in a moment of defeat, in a moment of rejection. And I'm telling you, earthly rejection usually introduces you to heavenly exception. The moment, rejection is not bad. It just reveals. I have a saying, I believe that rejection is protection. 
rejection is really protection in some shape or form. Some good things fail so that greater things can begin. And failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing I do. Everybody shout one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But one thing I do. Everybody shout one thing. I press. I press. When I think of pressing, I think of the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years, suffered many things of many positions. Didn't get better. Rather grew worse. Money's gone. Pain's still there. It's worse. And she heard that Jesus was coming by, and when she heard it, she had to have heard a lot of praise reports of what happened when people get close to Jesus. And she said in her heart, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I don't even have to have him lay hands on me. I believe what I've heard has ignited a kind of faith in me. My question is if I can get to him, not if he can find me, if I can get to him. And she begins to press her way through the crowd. And when she pressed her way through, there, there was a possible death sentence that could have come to her because the disease she had, she wasn't supposed to be having human contact with anyone. But she was so filled with faith, she came into the press. And that's why I said she came into the press. And I've, I've seen this over the years. The reason great revivals happen is because there's some people pressing. People are pressing. They're not going just through the same old, same old routine out of obligation, as Pastor was saying earlier, but there is a passion, there is a press, and when there's a passion, there's a press, you're going to touch Jesus in a different way than others touch him. All kinds of people were bumping up against him that day, and, and, but, but when she touched, he stood still. And he's trying, who touched me? And Peter goes, well, Lord, there's thousands of people in this street. <laughs> All kind of people touching you. No, somebody touched me differently. I'm telling you, from heaven's perspective, it's our press and our passion to leave where we were, to get to him, to touch him in a way that his power flows into our life to bring a life-altering change. And when we change, we begin to bring change to others. Amen? Come on, give God a praise for his word. If you want to live in victory, you can't let past hurts become your excuse for poor choices that lead to dysfunction and depression. Every time you say, it's not my fault, you've slipped on the garment of victimization and empowered someone to control your life that may not even be present anymore. When you decide to play the role of the victim, you have elevated the person who did you wrong above the God that can make everything right. You disable God's ability to bring justice, and, and you do enable Satan's ability to keep you in defeat. Victimization empowers the pain of your past to become greater than the promise of your future. Never play it. When you play the role of the victim, you've allowed someone's abusive, toxic nature to become the lens through which you look to the future, and the future doesn't look real good. You know, I took Jill... Uh, I'll close with this story. I took Jill on a, uh, a trip a number of years ago, a Valentine's trip to Carmel, California. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, rented a car. We drove down from, from San Francisco and stayed at a real romantic little hotel. And it's just the most incredible little restaurants. And we went, we went to the little town center, parked the car, and we were... Uh, walking around. We had lunch, a nice lunch. We were gone for maybe three hours or so. And when we came back, when we came back to the car, it was a 
it was a Cadillac I'd rented. It was nice, and and uh, I didn't notice that I had parked under a tree, and the tree was primarily the leaves was on the passenger side of the car. Well, I think a herd of birds got in that tree, and her whole side of the window was covered with bird poop. And she went, Danny, this is awful. She goes, we got to get to a car wash. I said, oh, yeah, we will. We will. And so we took off, and, and I, I wasn't spotting one quick, and so you just, I'm just driving through. Everything is, is very scenic, and so I'm, I'm going, oh, honey, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And she go, all I see is a bunch of crap. And, and uh, you know, she, can't you do anything? And so we were, I was still looking for a car wash, and I couldn't find one. And I got out by, uh, what's the golf course? Pebble Beach is right there, one of the most world-famous courses. And I said, oh, look, honey. She goes, honey, really, until you deal with this, nothing's going to look good. Until you deal with this, nothing's going to look good. So I thought, well, you know what, until I find a car wash, maybe I'll, maybe I'll flip on the, the window shield washers. That was the worst thing I could have ever done because all it did is bring all her poop over on my side of the window. And then, and then things were ugly to both of us. Didn't matter how beautiful it was. If that's what you got to look through, nothing looks good. Nothing looks good. And I'm telling you, if you can stop blaming others for the way things are in your life and slip out of victimization mode and into responsibility, yeah, it did happen to you, but it doesn't have to remain happening to you for the rest of your life. And the more you talk about it, the more you just wash that back and forth across the windshield of your future. And I'm telling you, when you get under the blood of Jesus and the, the pure washing water of his word, it will wash you clean. It will call, give you the hope, that hope that all things can be new. Yeah, that was my past, but I don't have to hit repeat performance anymore. He's made all things new for me. And the people of God said, amen. Stand up with me if you would. If you keep bringing your past into your present, your tomorrows will feel just like your yesterdays. That's good. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for this special time here at the harvest. I, I thank you, Lord, for the prophetic words that were spoken, the words of encouragement tonight, the words of challenge. And I, and I sense in my heart that that acceleration of favor is coming. But God, I believe some of it's going to be on conditions that we release and let moments go. That we become like those great levers that I was speaking about tonight. That we let go of some of those past moments of hurt or injustice. God, that we release somebody that we've held a grudge against. And that we, we put you in absolute control of our destiny and our future. Not dependent upon who likes us or dislikes us here, but God, when your favor abounds toward us and it surrounds us, people bump into your favor on our lives and people begin to like us and they don't even know why. God, I'm praying tonight for a spirit of fresh courage to arise, a holy boldness. There have been great moments in this house and I believe greater ones are yet to come. And so, Father, that's our request tonight, with heads bowed, with eyes closed, I know it's a Monday night and mostly church people here, but, but I still have to do this every time I pray. I know that somebody is at an intersection of life, and maybe you've made choices that have taken you into places you really, you don't want your life to go, or maybe they're there, 
and you don't know how to get out of them. Maybe you've picked up some habits or some addictions. You didn't plan on them, but they've got a, they've got a grip on you now. Our society and our culture, even our church world, has become uh, more loose in values and morals. And I believe God is calling us to a higher standard, to step back up where he can pour his spirit out in us and through us in tangible, powerful, supernatural ways. We got to come clean with him. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you'd say, Danny, hey, there's, there's some stuff going on in my life. It's just not right. And I know that I'm not walking in the authority or the power of God that I could walk in. I, I've made, I have compromised here. I've made some bad choices there. Uh, maybe I've gotten connected in some relationships that have proved to, to pull me further away from the Lord instead of pushing me towards the Lord. And I need new freedom. If God can do new things, I need new freedom in my life. If that's you, just hold your hand up real high. I want to I pray for you. If that's you, I need new freedom. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see. God bless you. Great. God bless you. 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 It's great. You're making wise choices, and you're taking the courage to do that. Father God, I pray for these men and these women right now. Lord, whatever has tried to chain them up, whatever has tried to slow them down, whatever has tried to imprison them, you are the Lord who loves liberty. You love liberty. You came to set captives free, so break the chains tonight. Come on, break the chains tonight, God. Break the chains. Whatever holds them, whatever grips them, break them off and bust open that prison door and let them walk into the freedom that you have created for them in the powerful name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for it. If there's anyone here that say, hey, I, I've struggled with that unforgiveness thing. I've, I've, I've been a blame shifter. There's, there's things that where I am in life, and I, I constantly say, well, it's because so-and-so did this to me, or so-and-so walked out on me, or so-and-so screwed me in a business deal. I believe that we can walk free of that in the same way. Unforgiveness only binds you up. It doesn't bind up the one that you hold unforgiveness against regret will never release you it will always hold you so you have to say I choose to let go of those regrets no amount of emotional energy can change any part of your yesterday the more you meditate on what has happened the less fate you have towards what could happen so God we ask for a mental wash tonight Lord, we ask for a mental and a memory wash tonight. Come on, just lift up your hands all over this place. Lord, we ask for a mental wash tonight to wash out those things that hinder our faith, those things that cause us to stall in our courage and our love towards others. God, we just ask you to wash us in the water of your word and by the precious blood of the Lamb. God, that there is a fresh fire on the inside of us, passionate for you, for the things of your kingdom, a passionate new kind of love for people. Lord God, that they don't have to go through our approval rating, realizing you have already approved them. And so, God, we pray that we walk towards others in a new kind of depth of love 
love and compassion and mercy and kindness. And God, that you would begin to draw them into this house from the north, from the south, from the east and the west, that Harvest Church would see the greatest revival that they have ever seen before. Kindle that passion, God. Let the fire burn within once again. Look, God, don't let us just talk about yesterday revivals. Let us talk in faith about that which you're about to send today, God. Stir our hearts. Stir our hearts. Lord, as the prophet in the Old Testament said, there was no one who would stir themselves up to take hold of you. God, help us to stir ourselves up and to come into the press like the woman with the issue of blood to touch you so that there may be a release of your virtue and your power in our lives. In the name of Jesus, God, you said the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would quicken our mortal body. So quicken us tonight with that same spirit that raised your body from the dead. In the name of Jesus, cause us to walk into a new life-giving power. God, let there be something electric about our life. God, something magnetic that others are drawn to and they don't know why. Put the words in our hearts and in our minds and in our mouths that edify others in love. And we thank you for these things. We thank you for these things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, I came in here with a word, and I said accelerated favor was here for those who had the faith to receive it. So if you have faith to receive that right now, just lift up both hands as high as you can. Both hands as high as you can. Some of you, this is favor in a financial area. I know that. Some of you have been choking, barely surviving, barely getting by. Stuff has been breaking down on you right and left. Some of you need that favor in a marriage. You need the favor of God to smile, to bring the peace and to bring the, the, the authenticity, the love back to that relationship. One is fighting for it, and the other is not fighting for it. Lord God, right now, I pray for this acceleration of favor, this acceleration of favor. Like, like, come a rushing, mighty wind into this house right now. That, God, we can begin to feel it and breathe it in. We breathe in. We breathe in an acceleration of favor. Come on, take a deep breath. In the name of Jesus, we breathe in an acceleration of favor, God. Lord, a, fa a new season of favor in finances, God. That there's new jobs and there's better jobs. There's promotions. There's benefits. There's raises. There's inheritance money coming through. God, there's deals that are about to be signed. There's ideas and witty inventions, God, that you're releasing now into this house and into these people. God, an acceleration of favor in the arena of health. God, someone has been under a, a, a lot of stress, and the stress has been producing a lot lot of pains in, in their body, a lot of things going wrong. God, tonight I decree the stress is broken off of them. I decree the stress is broken off of them. No more need for those prescriptions. Lord God, there's healing in their mind. There's healing in their sleep. There's healing in their home. There's deliverance. Deliverance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, there's favor right now coming, an acceleration of favor in a, in a place of employment. Somebody has been looked over and bypassed on multiple occasions, and that ends tonight. That ends tonight. There is a new level of notice and acknowledgement even in this next seven days. Things are turning in your favor. Things are turning for your favor. Things are turning for your favor. In the powerful name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, Come on, can we give God some great shouts of victory for those things tonight? Woo! 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 
Well, Father, we just ask you to seal this moment. Seal these moments, these words, the power of your precious Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to highlight certain phrases that were said tonight that mean different things to different people. Highlight and boldface those things that may be important statements or scriptures to, to put on their refrigerator, put on their mirror they get up in the morning and begin to say the right things about themselves and begin to say the right things about the people that they work with or go to school with to say the right things. Because wrong words can never produce right harvest, God. And every deed is a seed and every day is a harvest, but God also every word is a seed and it produces after its kind. God, may we sow kindness. May we sow forgiveness. May we plant love, affection, grace, and mercy at all times, in all places. Help us to see others like you see others. And we believe that a divine elevation will begin to happen in all of our lives. Because as we edify somebody else, we go up with them. Father, we thank you for that. Everybody shout this with me. The rest of my life will be the best of my life. And my next days are my best days. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a praise through his word. You know, I, I, do, uh, I do still sing. Uh, I just don't travel very often, so we didn't bring any products or resources here. But uh, hit the, uh, just hit Oasis Church uh, website. You can see some things there. We have about 100,000 that watch us online from all over the world. It's, it's kind of cool. We've built friendships all over the place just through our, our online streaming. Uh, but if you're ever in Nashville, come visit us. We'd love to, to host you on a Sunday. We have three services at, uh, at their, our main location. And so, uh, yeah. And I think all my stuff's on Spotify. I've done, I've done 22 recordings. Not all of them. That'd be too many. I did my first one when I was three years old. I don't have that one. My mom and dad had me singing in their tent meetings when I was three, and I recorded an album in Hollywood, California when I was three years old. And I had, you know, I didn't pronounce all my letters good yet. So I, I couldn't pronounce the L's, you know? And, the, and so I, I sang, He that beweaveth ha have everlasting wife. Sound like a Bugs Bunny version, doesn't it? But most of the great uh, worship albums that, that I've, I've done over in the time of our history from Calling Down Fire forward or all on Spotify or Apple Music or Google Music, uh, they'll be a blessing to you, all right? Thanks for letting me sow into your life tonight. Love you. God bless. Awesome. Right. Well, have you been blessed? No, you have. Get online and get the music. How many have some of Danny's music? I mean, listen to it a lot get in instantly in God's presence what a great conference I want to thank everyone I want to thank uh, Pastor Warren Kathy and Summit Church let's give them a hand Harvest on the Summit thank you so much all the, the words tied in all the speakers had just tied in together and God knew exactly uh, what he was doing uh, I'll, I'll end with this um, story uh, I know I've shared it with Danny he'll remember this meeting the strongest meeting I was ever in uh, was at ORU we're having the Youth America uh, service and, and Danny was leading worship we'd gone the afternoon and uh, to our dismay there was the world's largest uh, tug of war you remember that? at that time 
everything was trying to break a record, you know. And uh, this huge tug of war, this thing was, you know, this massive amount of people on each side. And somehow, some people on one side let go. And the rope burned. Uh, there was people that had third-degree burns on their hands. Were you there, Jill? You remember? Okay. They what? I left Okay. And they went to ORU. Uh, to the hospital and during that meeting that service that night I, I know we got into worship and, and Ellen she uh, nudged me and she said uh, is it uh, a pipe leaking in here and uh, I looked up and there was no it was kind of like a, a dome ceiling there was no pipes or anything and I, I said no there's no pipes and plunk plunk water hit me and I know it, it sounds way out there, but it rained inside that building. All the people that had gone to the medical center took their bandages off, and they were completely healed. People were healed all over that place. People took. Uh, it, it was just uh, an awesome service, and it just it just flew by. I couldn't believe the, the time it was. You know, nobody wanted to leave. We stayed a long, long time. We The next morning we were moving a little slow, but that was an awesome time. So get get the material and stuff. Pastors, uh, we're having a little get-together in the back. Fellowship Hall, uh, you're invited to come back. So, love each of you. Go in the grace of God. Accelerated. What was the exact term? Accelerated favor accelerated favor speak it over your life we'll get written up we're going to believe for it release our faith amen go in the grace of God God bless you if you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org you may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.